Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, the LRT project is moving along, but city councilors still have not seen the budget. Councilors Jason Farr and John Paul Danko joined us for the first hour to discuss the concerns with the project. Also, there is a potential end on the horizon for the steel and aluminum tariffs from the United States. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It was uh, another action-packed meeting uh, at Hamilton City Hall yesterday, the General Issues Committee. Uh, the topic was uh, LRT and uh, trying to get some answers about what's going on, how much it's going to cost, and who's going to be paying for what. Uh, some frustrated counselors because, uh, well, a lot of questions and not a whole lot of answers, unfortunately. We get staff, I think, it was just as much in the dark as they uh, city councillors are. So we're going to spend some time talking about that today and kind of get an update on uh, what's going on and, and uh, whether or not there's still a level of confidence about how this project is going to happen and when it's going to happen as well. And uh, to that end, we're pleased to welcome two of those city councillors uh, into our studios here at CHML. Uh, John Paul Danko is the councillor for Ward 8 up in the mountain. Good to see you again, John Paul. Good morning, Bill. And Jason Farr, the downtown councillor, uh, and this his old stomping grounds. You've spent some time in the studio, too. Good to have you in here, Jay. Uh, thank you. And in your view, the best sitcom on TV, it's not council on Cable 14, I hope. Well, you'd let the cat out of the bag, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> if it's not Big Bang Theory, I wonder. Cheers. Cheers, obviously. <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, that's a yeah. good one. Sure. Well, you kids, you wouldn't remember that. Uh, let me I'll get right to the heart of the matter here, which I think seemed to be the theme, guys, from yesterday. John Paul, I'll start with you. Why is it so difficult to try to get answers from Metrolinx about what's going on and who's paying for this? Well, the, the meeting yesterday, we had an update report from our city staff who uh, compiled where we are to date with the project. Right now, the job, the the LRT project is out to tender, which is uh, Metrolink's purview. So they're mm-hmm. they're responsible for for the running the tender and ultimately awarding the project. So staff came to council to present um, an information update, and I think some of the frustration was just that we weren't hearing directly from Metrolinks that our staff were presenting that information um, to us directly. Why aren't they there? Mm, last couple of meetings, they haven't been available. Uh, I think the general uh, consensus from uh, Chris Jacobson, our city uh, director on the project, was that they just didn't bother to ask them. They uh, had a conversation. Uh, it was brief, and uh, Chris had decided uh, this is just an information report. There were no uh, ratified motions or anything being moved uh, other than uh, you know, some follow-up type motions uh, with the report being an information report. It's just being received, and Jacobson decided he could handle that, and I thought he handled it pretty well. The reality, though, as, as we saw yesterday, is that there were a lot of questions to be asked and answered, and, and, and I, I understand Chris is a smart guy, and, he, and you guys have felt all kinds of confidence in him, but it'd be kind of nice to have the partner who's involved in this whole thing at the table, too, so, to answer some of those questions. And that was one of the follow-up motions, right, Bill? So that at our next meeting, uh, I think it was uh, the mayor that moved the motion, uh, they will be present, and uh, we've uh, asked, I think, uh, more of a direction that uh, a lot of the councillors who had a lot of good questions, and I agree with uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger uh, yesterday to Chris Jacobson, get those questions to Metrolinks in advance. We'll have an efficient meeting and get to everything that needs to be answered answered uh, from any of one of our colleagues. Are you, are you concerned, John Paul, about the vagueness that's coming from Metrolinks right now? I mean, I know the minister was in town a couple of weeks ago and, and reiterated their support quote-unquote, but I mean, you know, there's questions about cost overruns, if there are going to be cost overruns, and who's going to be responsible, and we're not really getting any direct answers. I'm not concerned about uh, Metrolink's approach here. I think the information, as, as Councillor Farr mentioned, that we got from our staff answered most, if not all, the questions that I had. 
Um, the big outstanding question, and really the only outstanding question, is what the final bid value is going to be. And we won't know that until a year from now when those bids actually come back and are evaluated. So the, the question for Metrolinx, and I, and I think a lot of the angst around council is what that final bid is going to be, and is it still within the budget that we have, uh, the, the province has allocated for the project? And I think that is the question that when Metrolinx comes in, that we need to get a sense that they are currently updating their, their budgets and that they're still confident in that overall budget. Because at the end, when the bids come in, we are, don't want a sticker shock that, holy cow, it's over the amount that's budgeted and then have to scramble to come up with that extra money. And if that's the case, well, we'll get to that in a second, because that's one of the scenarios that I know an awful lot of your colleagues are very concerned about. But but with that in mind, I guess there's some concerns about design, what's going to happen, because what we did hear from Metrolinx, uh, Jay, was that like, if there are going to be cost overruns, if it goes past this billion dollars, we're going to have to, I think they said, modify the project. Yes. Does, does that concern you at all? Uh, well, yeah, but there's different uh, ways to approach modification. Obviously, you can scale down the project and uh, not uh, invest aesthetically, as it were, from uh, uh, the, the scope that we have planned now, the 14K from Eastgate to Mac. You could shorten uh, the the uh, length. So instead of 14K, maybe the, the conversation, maybe, uh, at the appropriate time would be, is it now Queenston Road? Is it some other street that we do, begin do you, from Do you want to go there again? Not really. I mean, I, you know, I'm with uh, JP. I, I'll a lot of things I, I understand, and uh, like uh, Councillor Danko, I've had an opportunity, or at least uh, uh, provided uh, myself in my office the opportunity to get updates from people like Chris Jacobson in the last few months. And so, going into today's yesterday's meeting, having read the report, have, having have having had the updates ahead of time, you know, I'm aware uh, that uh, there may be some eventualities that we'll debate, but we'll do that at the appropriate time. Right now, we have an approved 14K LRT project. We have uh, since our last. LRT meeting, a commitment from the province in their age of austerity for that $1 billion. And uh, it's 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 uh, clear to us that uh, right now, status quo until such time as uh, we're, we're told otherwise, right? But but uh, have you even had cursory discussions about what might happen if there's overruns? I mean, what you might do? I mean, uh, somebody ridiculously said, yeah, we just won't put any seats on the trains. Uh, but there's, there's, I mean, there's <laughs> austerity and there's austerity. I mean, because as you guys know, uh, some of your council colleagues are just borderline supporters of this, and, and some are just outright not supporting this at all. Uh, and I get the sense from some of them that they're, they're looking for an excuse to say, okay, we're off, we're out of this. I, I think that is a, a concern that when the project does come back, if there is the, the, the bid value is over what the budget is, that is a, a serious conversation that um, could determine what ends up happening with the project. But at the same time, I think we have to have confidence in the process that we're working through right now with Metrolinx, that there are three consortiums that are bidding on the project, and the professionals that are, are working through those bid process, they're doing the design build right now, and they have an opportunity to really um, sharpen their pencils. They know what the budget is, so it's really in their best interest to make sure that their bids are within that budget because they know full well what will happen if they put in a bid that's over what what's budgeted. And um, they have an opportunity to 
to make sure that the bids that they put in are as efficient as possible and they can use their skills to be innovative and come up with ways to to build this project in a way that's within the budget. This is with your engineering background though this is right into your wheelhouse. What are you expecting to see? And I, I don't mean about you know the the, the fine details but from these bids what do you what do you want to see in front of you when it's all said and done? Well, this is a design, build, operate uh, bid process, so it's very complicated, and that's that's why there's such a long runway going into this. The the, the bidders have a well; they've had the packages for a full year now. We'll have it for another year now that we have certainty with the project, and. So what what will be evaluated uh, eventually is the the final design that they're responsible for, um, and then all all the way through to how they're going to build it, how it's going to be staged, and right down to what kind of trains are going to be uh, provided and how those are, are fit in with what our vision is for the project. So how much leeway do they have? The, well, they're they're the the designer, so they do have within the scope of the the tender package that they were provided with, they do have quite a bit of leeway to you to be innovative, to come up with different ideas and in different ways approaching things, and they're working with the city and Metrolinks working through the process. So as questions come up, as they're not sure about something or they need clarification, they come to the city or to Metrolinks to get those answers. So it's a as we work through the process, it's it's very much involved with between Metrolinks, the city, and all three of the consortiums. Now we know the route, Jay, uh, the fourteen k that you've been talking about. But uh, is there leeway within that? To, I, I mean, to say, hey, well, you know, we kind of thought we'd do this, or we're going to put this. I already understand now. There's even been some modifications already about the, the four hundred three crossover bridge. There's uh, modifications there. There's modifications uh, at our Pan Am precinct where now you can disembark for special events at uh, the Pan Am precinct, whether it's uh, Tiger Cat Great Cup or other uh, major events happening at the stadium, uh, just to the north of Bernie Filoni Way. Uh, the school kids uh, can be impressed at this modification too because now you're going to disembark right onto the sidewalk as opposed to where the original plan was in the middle of the street. Here and there, there have been modifications. They were shared in this report in this update from Chris Jacobson uh, yesterday and uh, obviously all three bidders have been advised. So, But again, right now, Bill, I mean, for me and I, I'm assuming uh, J.P. Danko here to my uh, left, uh, if you're watching on the radio, it's your right. Uh, it's uh, 14K, it's Eastgate to Mac and that's, that's not changed. Uh, what are you looking to see? Same question as John Paul. Well, you know, Cause this, well, this well, is going to have probably your ward and ward one. I know it's going to go all the way to Eastgate to the east end of the city, but one and two are the ones that are going to see, I think, some of the heaviest construction and some of the most inconvenient times, I guess. And and you you know you're going to the phone's going to be ringing off the hook for you, so you you got to go into this arm, armed and ready to, to be able to handle some of this stuff. Right, and, and so it's all about uh, communications, and communications in advance have been stellar. In fact, as you've talked to the mayor about here on this program before, Bill, we're setting a standard. Metrolinks is using our outreach and uh, 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 ability to communicate to every property owner and other projects uh, throughout uh, uh, whatever's in their purview. Uh, so we're setting a standard, and so in getting that word out in advance uh, is helpful. Working with people like the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce uh, is has been helpful. The BIAs and their communications and uh, their monthly meetings, uh, particularly with the downtown BIA and the International Village BIA, who are uh, quite obviously directly impacted. Uh, inviting uh, staff from both Metrolinks and the city on the LRT file on a regular basis and so well in advance of construction communicating uh, to those businesses and residents who, who live along the route. Uh, 
yeah, and in terms of timing, uh, you know, uh, there are now, uh, I'm finding in those BIA meetings and other communications throughout at least my ward, downtown Hamilton, from Wellington to Queen anyway, questions about, hey, what's going on? Because, you know, when you delay a schedule that's been, you know, broadcasted uh, years in advance, uh, you're going to get those questions. I think we answered those questions yesterday, and one of the things that uh, Councillor Danko pointed out when he spoke to this uh, report yesterday was, you know, we really are on time. I mean, 24 is uh, is the uh, is the completion date. So that hasn't changed. Where we're delayed is in the upfront piece right now. And so, uh, you know, the clear message was we're going to catch up uh, while the uh, the bids are taking longer than we expected, while there are these outstanding or remaining questions and, and some new councillors and some councillors who have returned after a four-year absence are asking some of those questions, all good questions. Um, I think what we're, we're uh, the, the prevailing theme is in 2024, uh, the currently council-approved LRT will be up and running. And so uh, how we address those questions uh, with respect to delays, p- potential cost overruns, uh, uh, communications with those residents, especially adjacent to this route during construction, you know, that that's all part of uh, uh, what is the biggest city-building project in, in, in Hamilton's history. Why is it taking so long? I mean, you know, as, as design build situations like this, you could say they've, they've had a year and now we're told it's going to be another year. I mean, I'm assuming these guys know what they're doing. They've probably done this before someplace else. Uh, why would it take two years to actually come, back, to come up with a bid and say, here we are? Well, two reasons. I think the first reason is that we had a provincial election in the very start of the, the bid process, and that threw a lot of uncertainty into into the bidding. So if you're going to invest a year of your company's time putting together a, a, a bid package, you want to know for sure that that project is actually going to go ahead. Because if for whatever reason uh, the provincial government decided that they weren't committed to the funding, all that work would be for nothing. So uh, unfortunately, we, we end up with that provincial election in the middle. Now, the, the provincial government uh, recently committed to the full billion dollar funding. And uh, they also committed to restarting the uh, the um, property acquisitions. So that sent the signal to all the bidders that, yes, the province is fully committed to this project. And the the bidders, the consortiums that are that are that are going to be putting in their their bids, um, they were able to to reinvest themselves in the project. So that's they needed that extension of the extra year because it is such a complex project to make sure that i mean they're they're designing this whole thing right were, now. were they doing anything in this interim period while they this apprehension about the election do they just hit the pause button or were there other things they could do to try to move this thing along well i can't speak for them specifically but as uh, somebody that's put in tenders on construction yeah. projects myself um they would be working on it, but their costs would be their costing would be different. With the uncertainty, you would build extra cost into your bid. So now they're going back and they're probably saying, "Okay, now that we know, where did we add extra costs? Where can we take those costs out?" It's been speculated, Bill. I think yeah. you've heard this yourself. Uh, there was a lull uh, by the three consortia, and what we're hearing now is it's very much back on track. Uh, we get. A lot more to, to talk about here. i got to do a short break. We're going to come back in a couple of minutes. Glad you guys are with us today. Jason Farr, John Paul Danko from Hamilton City Council. Uh, we're talking about LRT, a big long meeting yesterday at City Council, and we'll get to some of the finer details right after we do a short time out. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, with uh, Jason Farr and John Paul Danko from Hamilton City Council, we're talking LRT, uh, an extensive meeting yesterday about council with uh, some updates 
uh, about what's going to be going on and uh, still some questions to be asked and, and answered for that matter too. So that's going to be happening. Uh, one of the issues, uh, John Paul, that uh, I know you guys talked about yesterday uh, was we keep hearing about the money that has been spent so far. And it's uh, not an insignificant amount of money. Uh, is is that coming out of the billion dollars? I mean, you know, the advertising we hear, the promotions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, are they whittling that bank account down, or do you, do you still have a billion dollars to play with here? Well, I'd say that's money that's been invested, because that's money that's invested in the city of Hamilton. But, uh, yes, that is part of the billion-dollar budget. So, to date, um, the, the city of Metrolinks have in, Metrolinks has invested $151 million, with another $20 million committed to date. So, Right now, our, our total commitment is around $171 million. That's half of the 151 in property acquisition. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's an asset. Uh, which, as you mentioned, was on hold now because of the freeze that the province put on on that. Uh, are you comfortable, though? I mean, I know you said yesterday that, well, you're still technically we're still on schedule here. But that 2024 is looking kind of tight right now. I mean, there's an awful lot yet to be done, even in the way of acquisitions. There's there's a huge amount of work to be done for sure. Um, but again, that goes back to the bid process and the contractor and and their methods of innovation and making sure that they can meet that construction timeline. So knowing what the end date is, they can work back and make sure that they um, are put their processes in place to, to hit that date. Now, there, there's certainly challenges, especially around uh, staging construction. And as soon as you start digging up the road, I mean, there's always unknowns, but the contractors can build that into their price and into their planning. So uh, a significant amount has already been invested in this project. And and I think that speaks to where we are in the process right now, that this project is, you know, for a lack of a better term, it's it's on the rails, it's moving ahead. And uh, right now, like like I said, it, it's out to bid, and uh, we'll find out what those prices are a year from now. But you know, you've been involved in construction and projects and design for many, many years. Uh, you've been riding herd on a number of them, too, since you've been on council, Jay. Uh, there's always going to be some blip. I mean, I watch the Property Brothers, and every time they tear a wall down, it's, oh, we didn't know that was back there. Right. And, uh, are you prepared for that? Because, it, you know, it seems to be working under the assumption right now that everything's going to go swimmingly, and we're just going to go, and no project ever does. Uh, well, we have to be prepared for that. And, you know, contingencies, as uh, Councillor Danko mentioned earlier, are, are, are all part of the process right from the get-go. So when these three bidders uh, do their thing, they're, they're, they're anticipating and they should be planning for in their performa uh, the unexpected. Uh, that said, too, I mean, you're well aware our Hamilton-born Minister McKenna has uh, not made a commitment but certainly has uh, all but endorsed this project. And, uh, you know, while we uh, have been in terms of the delays, the victim of uh, – other governments, uh, uh, primarily the reason for those delays, and we have now, you know, obviously uh, seen a delay with the provincial election and a federal election looms. Um, you know, a lot of us who are really looking closely at this project with respect to who else can we reach out to in a partnership uh, sort of capacity and in the event that uh, we do have these cost overruns. Certainly the Liberals have, uh, have been outspoken enough at this point on a, on a federal scale in, uh, in, in, in talking about or at least contemplating a commitment on an overrun capacity because they believe in this uh, project and what it stands for. Primarily, uh, Minister M- uh, McKenna's argument is, is environmentally based, but there's sure. quite obviously city building and other uh, good reasons for, for putting an LRT 
on uh, the beeline. So, uh, you know, we may be at the mercy of another uh, federal election and the outcome of that election. And, uh, you know, in the event, and, uh, you know, I don't think Councillor Danko or myself wanted to sit here and speculate for the hour with you uh, here on uh, CHML, Bill. But, uh, you know, we, d- we can't avoid uh, the potential for conversations in the near future of where we're going to get an excess hundred million, two hundred million, whatever the case may be, if it is indeed the case that there are cost overruns, and the federal government is a key player, and Metrolinx has already said they're committed to speaking and partnering with us in those conversations with the federal government as well. Okay, but how do you grow that support that Minister McKenna was talking about into a commitment? Uh, and, and I understand there's an election in October, and they usually like to start handing stuff out and goodies here and goodies there, but uh, obviously you want to make sure that you've had a check in hand. I mean, you've been down this road before. Well, I think at at this point in the process is that, you know, we have to do our due diligence and make sure that if the project, the bids come in over budget, that there is a plan, whether that's scaling back the project, as as we've discussed previously, or changing the scope of some of the work or trying to find additional funds. But I think it's important to just reiterate that at this point in the process, the budget is the budget Mm -hmm. and we're trying to work within that. And we have every confidence that Metrolinx and the province um, are also working towards that budget. Now, I've talked to Minister McKenna about this a couple of times on the program as well. How do you see that? If if it does come to pass and, and the federal government says, hey, we're in, uh, do you see them as covering overruns? Do you see them as putting a capital uh, uh, contribution in here that's going to defer your costs? I mean, wh- where do you see that happening and how do you see it happening? Yeah, that and potential other opportunities. Uh, first, we have to see them get reelected, preferably with the majority, I guess, because, you know, they're the only ones so far of the three parties that I'm aware of that are talking about supporting Hamilton in this uh, massive uh, uh, city building project. So, uh, you know, and I, I thought about this. I talked to the, uh, staff about this and just to Councillor Danko's comment. Uh, a moment ago, you know, and, and you rightly point out, Bill, as you know best, uh, uh, you get a lot of these commitments just prior to elections. Councillor Collins mentions this all the time whenever there's a provincial or federal election. Timing's always ripe for the municipality to make major requests. And certainly, uh, uh, I, you know, I think supporting our LRT prior to uh, the election cycle, getting that commitment before they're no longer legally able to make any multi-million dollar commitment uh, is a good thing. Now, I've asked well, why can't they commit to some sort of 100 or $150 million reserve in the event of a cost overrun? Uh, you know, it's not a conversation that's been had yet. Certainly something I pursued with our, our, our LRT staff at the local level. And, uh, you know, we shall see. It would be nice, though, to, to, to hear a little bit, something a little bit more substantive from, from the minister, who, uh, as we all know, is bullish on the project. The prime minister is bullish on the project. I think Philomena is probably bullish on the project. I'm omitting one on purpose here uh, as far as local MPs. But uh, regardless of that, it would be it'd be spectacular if we could get something a little more firm, just as just to cover a potential eventuality, Bill. But, okay, but uh, at this point, of, we're not there. Instead of talking in the hypothetical, yes. as, a, as a wise man that you and I once worked for once said, if you don't ask, you don't get. Aha, Jim uh, McLeod. There you go. Great radio legend yeah, yeah. in this Gr- great guy. Uh, at some point, you got to make the ask uh, because they're going to they they can support you all they want until the cows come home. But I mean, until they actually say, "Okay, here's the money. Here's what we're going to do," in, in whatever fashion that could be, as you say, it could be a contingency, any number of things. Right. But there's got to be an official ask. Yeah, and, and MetroLink's is, is at that table, and 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 yesterday's information update. Uh, at least uh, provided us uh, some um, 
reassurance that they're well aware that, uh, that that there may be that time that they need to formally sit down with the federal government. But the when is not out there yet. Who 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 knows when? Uh, uh, but it's certainly something that I don't think anybody, whether you support as a councillor LRT or do not support. Uh, LRT as a counselor isn't uh, keeping that top of mind that the potential will exist where we will seek through other levels of government some support potentially. How is this going to look? Uh, this is one of the questions I consistently get from listeners when we bring up this subject. Uh, once the construction starts, uh, does somebody start at Eastgate and somebody at Mac and say meet you in the middle? Uh, do they start in the West End and work their way back uh, all at once in stages? How does how does something like this, as grand as this project is, how does he see it shaping it? No, the the contractor will put together a, a very comprehensive uh, staging plan for the job. And there's there's different phases in the construction. So there's the in-ground work doing the sewers and the water mains and everything that's under the ground. And that's that's where you actually have to dig up and put in hoarding and truck soil in and out, which is, is very, it's dirty, it's very disruptive, um, but it's not the entire route. It's not, it's not like you're digging a trench from end to end. Um, so, so that work needs to be staged and r- planned very carefully to make sure that it doesn't impact traffic. Well, it will, but as minimal as possible. And then moving on to the actual construction of the LRT itself, the tracks and putting in the stations. And that work, so for example, building a station is very localized. Those stations are at specific areas and the traffic staging and, um, and the accommodations that will have to be made are at those specific locations. Um, just one point about the uh, the federal government there I'll throw in is sure. that uh, the uh, the federal government right now is funding a very large portion of our transit, our 10-year transit master plan. So we do know that they are committed to transit in the city of Hamilton. And when we're talking about transit, our HSR, our city transit is, is part and parcel of the LRT project. It's all, transit is all together. So we already know they have, they have that commitment to transit in the city of Hamilton. When this finally does start, and, and again, shovels in the ground, and as, as John Paul just talked about, this is going to be a major inconvenience. We know that. Uh, and we've seen this happen in other communities. I've talked to the folks up in KW, of course, during that construction. Uh, what about, what about the, the businesses along that route? And, and some of them are still looking for compensation and saying, look it, we're going to lose business. Some of them may lose everything. They could go out of business. I mean, it does happen. And, and they're going to come after you and blame you and say, look it, this is all because of this stuff here. Is, is there a plan to, to look after people like that, or is it just too bad, so sad you guys are on your own? I think there's a number of things that have been going on, and I mentioned earlier, Keenan Loomis and the uh, and the Chamber of Commerce have been very active. The BIAs have been very, very active. Uh, I would uh, anticipate uh, communication to the general public and, and appeals, at the very least, for, for supporting these businesses during the construction will we'll set a standard. So engaging with the public and, and, and helping them understand that they can do their part to help the mom and pa shops particularly along, along the route. Uh, there is a lot of commercial operators that are nervous. I'm not going to dance around that bill. I've been having those conversations for too many years to uh, pretend that not that that all of them are supportive of LRT. A growing number are. I mean, the one thing about this delay is we've seen new businesses relocate in places like International Village and the downtown and investments in the multi-millions of dollars by people like Steve Kiyakowski and Dave and Maureen Sove on, on many parcels of property along this route. And even developers who are, are either redeveloping or about to commit to developments 
along or very close to the route, all LRT supportive. So that there's more and more support of new businesses growing along the route, but there still are some who are nervous. And obviously, the biggest thing uh, uh, that 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 scare the, the thing that scares them the most is is losing business during uh, the upset or the construction. And so they've been communicated to many many times. We're about to put our door to door folks to work for the seventh consecutive time. That means going to every door, both residential and commercial, along that route, uh, communicating uh, what we know and listening to them and and to taking note of their concerns. And, and, you know, the number one issue, obviously, is will I uh, be able to survive the construction? Uh, we'd also be ignorant, I think, as a, a municipally elected body and, and as the mayor, to suggest that no one will go out of business. It's quite possible that those businesses today that exist on sort of a borderline uh, 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 in the books uh, um, uh, scenario, uh, you're going to be more challenged if you're just getting by right now. Uh, the good thing is there are folks you can reach out to. You can talk to your BIA. You can talk to the chamber. You can talk to your counselor. And uh, and hopefully the, the general public as well understands that, you know, f- almost all points uh, of this uh, construction period anyway, uh, your business is going to be accessible. We're trying to make that uh, a priority. We have made that a priority, I should say. And uh, so it's about getting those people to take those alternate routes, walking paths uh, from the back entrances to to through con- some construction staging to make that happen for you. Because uh, we, we saw this. I was talking to Councillor Ferguson about this. We saw this with Wilson Street in Ancaster a few years ago, too, uh, where it was just a mess for the whole summer. Yeah, concession. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, and concession, which went a lot longer than it was supposed to go. And, and you know, some people suffered and some people went out of business as a result of True. that. Uh, is there any discussion about compensation? Some people are saying I should get a break on taxes. I don't think you're allowed to do that legally. No. Uh, but but they're saying, well, look at is, is there the fund? Is there something we can dip into? Now that's really up to Metrolinks, I guess, more than you, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you're you're right. It's a, it's a, I guess considered sort of a bonusing, and there is no we we're bound as a creature of the province to go play by their rules. And I don't believe, and I mean, didn't bring it with me, Bill, but I know we talked about exactly that compensation for <coughs> businesses along the route. I brought it up probably three, four years ago at an LRT subcommittee. As it stands right now, that's that's not on the table to my to my understanding. And so it's all those other things, making the appeals to the public, support business during construction, doing what we can uh, and assisting, maybe creating uh, some free parking scenarios while construction is going on in the immediate areas of the construction that drives some traffic uh, to the area. And, and, and what we can do municipally, we're going to do our best to uh, to do and, and try to help uh, alleviate the pains of construction. And whether it's an LRT or a Cannon bike lane or a Concession Street or Wilson Street in Ancaster, we'd be burying our heads in the sand if we were telling you that it'll go off without a hitch. Construction is a pain in the butt. Do you see, a, is, there, is there an obstacle down the road or is there a pivotal point down the road that you're going to say, well, this is where we're going to have to make it or break it? I mean, we, we kept talking during the, the initial stages of this project and, and, and while council was still deciding how they were going to approach this, uh, there were off-ramps. Well, if we had to change our minds, we can always get here. Uh, are we out of off-ramps now? Well, I would argue that... I, I know uh, you don't want to take one. <laughs> I, I would suggest that we've, we've already made the commitment to this project. We're a year into the, the tender. Um, so as, as far as I'm concerned, that decision has been made. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not you know, significant issues that we still have to work through as, as the bid process proceeds. And really, the, the only question that's left for me anyway is what the final bid value is going to be. And then negotiating an operating contract from that. So one of the things that we learned at the uh, 
at the information uh, from the information report yesterday was that the city actually retains the fares from LRT. So th- I think some of the um, you know the concerns that that council has had working through the process um, we're still addressing. But to anyway, from from my perspective, that that whole discussion, the yes, no, and everything, and the details of the project, that's all been settled. Where we are right now in the process is figuring out what the bid's going to be, how we're going to build it, and make sure that uh, we end up with a project that all of Hamilton, uh, that's successful and that everybody um, is proud of. Unless that number is bigger than expected. Um, And and that's what some of your colleagues are telling us. Uh, That's The sticker shock was the phrase I think you used. And and if that happens, uh, there's some concern in some circles that some people might just say, I'm out, I'm off, I'm not going to do this. And that's that's the concern is that when the bids come back, if it is over what the budget is, um, the discussion then is, are we going to fund this? How are we going to scale it back? Is it appropriate to scale it back to a certain extent uh, to meet the budget? And um, and how we're going to deal with it then? But we won't know that until the bids are in. And is that if that happens, is that where you have that discussion with the feds? Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe even sooner. You get you get uh, your ducks in a row. You get ready for those conversations. They don't just happen, you know, uh, in real time. And I think we're we're doing that. I think people are cognizant to uh, the efforts. I, I would suggest those who are following this file closely, and particularly those who are LRT supportive, uh, are 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 uh, you know well well in the know that we should be prepared. And I think they're well in the know that we are prepared for those conversations. If again, we need to have them. Jason Farr, John Paul Danko. Guys, thanks so much for coming in here today and uh, for the the work that you guys are doing in this. I actually bumped into your finance guy, Mike Zagarek at Fortino's yesterday, and he's breathing a sigh of relief, too. It sounds like everything I'll is I'll bet settled. he is. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much. Great to have you guys here. Thank you, Bill. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Earlier this week, we were talking about the possibility of the uh, removal of the steel and aluminum tariffs that uh, Donald Trump had imposed last June. Uh, and to that end, Christia Freeland was in Washington yesterday talking with Robert Lighthizer and, and others, uh, including uh, Stephen Mnuchin, uh, who is the uh, Treasury Secretary for the United States. And uh, she left. She's gone to Havana to talk about the Argentinian situation uh, with that government. But uh, no deal, we're told. But the U.S. representatives seem to have changed their tune. Joining us to talk about this is Kenan Loomis, the president and CEO of the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. Good to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Good morning, Bill. You know, four or five days ago when we had this discussion, I thought, you know, there's not a hope and you know what of this thing happening. Is nobody down in Washington's even talking about this. All of a sudden, they are. Yeah, even though the last 24 hours have been uh, sort of an up and down affair, um, you know, it, it's at least positive to know that something's happening. Like, so, you know, within the last few days, there's been a lot more movement on this file than there has been within the last few months. Well, Nancy Pelosi met yesterday to talk about NAFTA, uh, the, t- the free trade deal about ratification. Uh, and we thought that wasn't even going to be on their agenda, at least until after, you know, the election. We got these, oh, we're going to stall. We're not going to allow them to. It still might not happen. We don't know that. But they weren't even talking about it a week ago. Yeah, there's been a lot of positive developments coming out of Capitol Hill over the last week, uh, not only, you know, on the Democratic side and in Congress, but uh, on the Senate side as well with uh, Senator Chuck Grassley of uh, Nebraska. He's, you know, a Republican stalwart. And uh, he is uh, telling Trump that uh, the USMCA is not going to be ratified by Congress. Congress unless the tariffs are removed. So, you know, maybe maybe that uh, is what is going to finally get through to him. 
Well, because now it's on their radar. And, and uh, no, I know that you know, we always said, well, look, at, you know, he's got to listen to the people that are going on there. The, the thing that, that I'm seeing and what I'm noticing when I wa- re- see Bloomberg and watch uh, uh, CNBC and some of these other places, uh, the U.S. economy seems to be toting along just beautifully right now. But a lot of folks down at ground level are not really feeling the effects of this. And some of these areas where Canada has imposed these counter tariffs are really starting to feel the heat and have for quite some time right now. And those representatives are starting to speak up. Yeah, the the indicators, the key indicators uh, for the economy are, are doing pretty well, I guess. But, uh, you know, the I think the message that's getting through is that the tariffs are actually a drag on the, the economy, it could be doing a whole hell of a lot better. And, uh, you know, we saw in the Washington Post uh, just a couple of days ago that uh, it's estimated that the steel tariffs are costing U.S. consumers $900,000 for every job that uh, Donald Trump is touting uh, having created as a result of these tariffs. Well, because, and again, I'm not so sure. I don't want to spend all this time talking about Trump, but I don't know if the guy actually had an understanding of what these are. Tariff is a tax. Yeah. That's really what it is. It's a euphemism for a tax, yeah. and it's a tax on his own people. Well, this isn't the only thing that he seems to be confused well, about. So no, it's probably a long list. Yeah. <laughs> it is a, a long pattern, and so, you know, it, it, it shouldn't surprise us anymore. Because as, as we've talked about here, we, we, you know, we've had business professors, but, you know, economists on here, uh, it's can- Canada does not pay the, the tariff. I don't know if he actually had that explained to him. It's the importers, the people that bring the steel in that have to pay it, and those are Americans. Yeah, well, and then they pass that on with higher cost to American consumers. Yeah, I know. It, it, he should get it if he is the business uh, man he purports to be. But uh, you know, the 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 impulse actually, you know, behind the imposition of these tariffs. We actually agreed with, you know, a, a couple of years ago, actually more than that, um, before Trump even came into office, we as a chamber have been advocating through our Ontario chamber and, and uh, federal chamber networks to to get Canada to understand how much of a threat the Chinese steel industry is to Canada and, and to the steel industry uh, all across the world. It is a non-market economy. Um these are. This is unfairly traded steel in that it ha- bears no relation to the supply and demand, the global supply and demand for steel. They just keep pumping it out. It doesn't matter how much uh, steel is actually needed out there. And so obviously that depresses prices. Uh, many of them are state-owned companies. Uh, and of course, they don't abide by the same labor and, and environmental laws that, that we do. So we've been saying to the federal government for years that we need to be careful. We need to be uh, more vigilant uh, as to what comes into uh, the the country. And as well, you know, one of the things that we know is that, uh, you know, the U.S. is, is continues to be worried about Chinese steel. Again, for, for some reason, Canadian steel and Mexican steel has been hit with tariffs. But we know that they're worried about it coming through Canada into the U.S., and there are things that we can do to to mollify mm-hmm. them and make them feel more comfortable. And it seems like that's going to be what ultimately gets the the job done in in uh, getting these tariffs lifted and in um, in ratifying the USMCA. Is we have to commit to a monitoring system that will prevent the dumping of steel, prevent Canada from being uh, a thoroughfare for the for the dumping of steel. And it's not just China either. Where there's a lot of issues with uh, Turkish steel and and steel also made in in, in other countries, so at least that 
uh, issue and that problem has been illuminated and it's going to have to be fixed. We're going to have to address that. I know that industry and the government are addressing it, but we're going to have to step up our efforts because that's what the Americans are going to need to feel comfortable going forward. But I know part of the discussion uh, with Christy Freeland and, and actually Bill Morneau has been down there. I mean, they, everybody's taking a shot at it. Apparently the Prime Minister and the President I had a couple of phone calls last week too. Uh, I think part of the message is, look, we're on the same side here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're being victimized by the Chinese steel and by steel dumping as well. In other words, we're not the bad guy here. Uh, Let's work together on this. And and I'm I'm hoping the U.S. is finally starting to see that, that wait a second here, we've we've aimed our our guns at the wrong guys here. Yeah, I I have no idea who it is that has been providing this advice to Donald Trump over the last number of years. Well, the speculation is it's Wilbur Ross. Well, yeah, so... so Who's a it, big, he's a big believer in tariffs. Yes. He may and, be the only one. But and a, a former steel executive. Yeah. Um, and we know that outside of Wilbur Ross as well, that you know it, it appears to be that U.S. Steel has outsized influences as to what's happening. And they are pretty much the only company in the United States that are actually advocating for tariffs. The, the other steel uh, producers in the U.S. They had no problems with this. We actually had a very integrated uh, continental steel making industry that had they had no issues with Canadian steel, no issues with uh, with Mexican steel. It was all about China, and yet uh, you know these these tariffs were imposed. And, and so you can't help but think that it's got to be the result of some grudge. Uh, in you know of uh, something that's happened in the past, Wilbur Ross again being an industry veteran, Robert Lighthizer being an, an industry veteran as well. But obviously, obviously we know the history of U.S. Steel in Canada, and you can't help but think that uh, that's a little bit uh, part of this as well. But isn't that 19th century thinking? It is. I mean, because just about everybody in the world at one time used tariffs, as they thought, oh, this is this is protectionism. We can do, and they, it doesn't work. No. Every time anybody's imposed tariffs, they don't work. No, and and not only that. So that has we've come to that realization and understanding. But then we've also gone further in creating, uh, you know, a, a trading zone like NAFTA. And and that addresses not just tariffs, but a whole host of things, uh, such that over the last 25 years, or, or however long NAFTA has been in, in place now, it's probably far longer than that. The years have gone by <laughs> quickly. Um, but we've become so integrated uh, through the supply chain. So you, all you have to do is, is look at the automotive, automotive industry. And that's the, that's the lighthouse here in terms of understanding how NAFTA has changed things and created these flows across the border and, and allowed firms like, like DeFasco to specialize and, and supply the North American automobile industry. And, and thus, you know, uh, there have been other companies in the U.S. that have also specialized in, in various forms of steel. And, and that's why the, the the balance of trade between the U.S. and Canada is, is so even, is because you know that's that's all kind of like the 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 the, the capital flows and and all of that have have evened out over the years, and people have gone with what they do best because that's how we've had to compete uh, with Chinese and, and and other steels. We we've constantly innovated, and so. NAFTA, you know, really made that happen, and and now it it's we don't know what to do, and 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 all of these supply chains are just they're unraveling before our eyes. Well, we're stalled. I mean, that's what it comes down to right now. And and as I say, when I you start watching the the, the stuff out of Washington on Capitol Hill uh, and right along the Beltway now, 
they're starting to talk about the NAFTA deal. Well, they call it USMCA deal. We, I, f- I forget what ours is, CANUSA, I forget something or other. Uh, we have, that maybe that may be the stumbling block. We have to work on our acronyms. <laughs> I guess so. But, but the fact that they're actually talking about this right now, where the Democrats, especially in, in the House, wasn't even on their radar. Uh, and there's still going to be some resistance to that because they may not want to sign this deal and give Trump a victory, uh, you know, heading into the election in 2020. Right. But I'm, I'm getting the sense that they're getting pressure from the constituents to say, you got to do this anyway. Yeah. Uh, we need this. The economy is starting to suffer at the grassroots level. Yeah. Well, and, and again, this is really the only leverage we have at, at this point in time um, is that the other part is that Canada cannot ratify a deal if uh, if a deal has not been created or, or agreed to by, I think it's the end of June or, or whatever. That's when um, when the parliament is uh, is going to break for the summer and they're not going to return until after the election. And who knows what's going to happen after that. So because it's on the agenda of Congress and, and they want to deal with this and, and the Mexicans want to deal with this, and we only have a couple months uh, for Canada to act, um, w- this is the time that we have to exert this pressure. And thankfully, we have a whole host of of allies within the U.S. as well. We always have. Um, and I think finally they, they're being heard. And I think finally uh, the, the president is backing down. And what we're hearing is that they've reached a deal with the Mexicans, which is great. Uh, the expectation, of course, for us is that we're going to get the same deal and that we're going to be able to go forward. Because that, that June 30th deadline is so very important here uh, from, from an economic standpoint to get this deal ratified. Uh, and I, 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 one of the commentators was saying, well, you know, this, they're working on this. Mnuchin mentioned that again yesterday uh, that, yeah, there's a process. Well, there is no process. Trump arbitrarily imposed these. And he could just as arbitrarily say, okay, they're off as of noon tomorrow. Uh, there's no active Congress that's needed, nothing at all like that. That was a presidential order. Uh, and by the way, there's some question about whether or not that was even legal because he's not mm-hmm. supposed to dabble into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But it, he could do that with a snap of a finger. And that way, that deal's going to get ratified. I mean, that that's a win-win for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, it, it definitely is because... To, to be honest, the, the companies in Hamilton, the members that we have, they can't, they can't wait it out much longer. They're, they're at the end of their rope. This has already been a lost year. So tariffs were imposed June 1st of last year, and we cannot believe that we're still, still talking about this. Remember, this was a, part of a negotiating tactic on the part of the White House to reach a deal on USMCA. Then the expectation is once the deal has been reached, and it was in November, that the tariffs would uh, would come off. And so we can't believe that we're still here. And we're getting to the point where the, the companies in Hamilton, they can't hold on any longer. They've done a really good job of, of absorbing the impact so that we haven't seen a huge number of job losses. So we haven't seen an appreciable you know decrease in, in the economic output of of the uh, of the community, uh, Defasco is still making steel and and still at the same capacity as they were last year, and they're paying a million dollars a day uh, because of these tariffs. But they're absorbing it because it's important to keep going. It's important not to lose your your workforce, and the understanding was that that these were going to be temporary. And and now we're getting to the point where some of our companies are laying off people. Uh, third shifts have, have been eliminated at uh, at one in particular. And so, you know, I don't know how much longer we can hold on. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting to juxtapose that with the fact that, for instance, Stelco's had two really good quarters now, and they're in black ink for the first time in God knows how long. Uh, but my understanding is that's because of previous orders. 
Uh, that that happened even before the, the that shows you how slow the industry can yeah. move sometimes. Well, now but, but they they're not going to get new orders unless these things get these things get lifted pronto. No, there's so many. Uh, so once those orders were fulfilled, the ones that were in place before the imposition of tariffs, uh, a lot of those orders have not been renewed, and and those relationships have have not been renewed, and and so a lot of our companies have basically lost all of their business into the U.S. and and so those companies in the U.S. have found other suppliers, and so now those relationships are becoming entrenched, and even when the tariffs are lifted, it's going to be really tough for our companies to just pick up uh, as they were uh, before June 1st of last year. So it, it is a very difficult situation. Well, and we've seen this happen in the past. I mean, you know, if, if that company goes to somebody else, for instance, a U.S. supplier, and mm-hmm. says, okay, we don't need Stelco anymore. We're going to go here. They're not going to drop those guys just because the tariffs are gone. I mean, we've got to win that business back. That's not going to be easy. Yeah, we've we've got to win that business back for, for sure. The the other thing I was going to say about Stelco is that they also benefited from the fact that the price of steel spiked after the tariffs were imposed, but has since dropped. Um, and now there's a, a glut in the global market again. And, and the, there's going to be a hangover effect in that um, many of our members – uh, expect that once the tariffs actually do come off, that the price of steel is going to drop even further. You're active uh, with the American Chambers as well. I know you talked with them on a pretty consistent basis. Is yeah. there a concern here about this trade deal to try to get this thing done by the beginning of the summertime? Well, they're all feeling it as well. Um, and again, they've been allies uh, all along. And, and our my colleague at the Buffalo Niagara Partnership, Dottie Gallagher, called me uh, last week. She just reported that uh, the Great Lakes Metro Chambers of Commerce did a fly-in to, into Washington, and and they're a coalition of, of key uh, U.S. chambers in, from you know Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and and a few others, um, and they're the ones that have brought the the news uh, into Washington that you know these tariffs are having a huge impact on their economies, and and we need to do something about it. And and again, as I've said, the U.S. Chamber has uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has all along. Uh, decried the imposition of, of these uh, tariffs. And, and you know, the thing is, the, so what's most frustrating is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has really been close allies with the Republican Party for the last uh, couple of decades, and, and that's not paying off at, at this point in time. And, and and what's most frustrating is they're right across the street from the White House. I, I went to visit them last year. You can actually see the White House from and, – and there's absolutely nothing they can do. And it's been a, a very frustrating journey for them. But this has become a bipartisan effort now. Totally. And it was political before that, you know, where the, you know, Republicans marched in line behind uh, the president and simply said, well, he's, a, you know, he's our guy. So, you know, if he says the tariffs, then it's going to be tariffs. But since they've heard from their business folks and from chambers of commerce – uh, you're hearing Republicans and Democrats speaking up and say, "Okay, enough is enough. It's time to to drop this." Yeah, and and you know the thing was that so so Trump and his you know anti-trade, anti-globalism sort of message actually aligned more with you know a lot of elements of of the the left wing and and Bernie Sanders basically saying the same thing yeah. on trade. So so that's uh, what's been interesting, and 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 you see the middle of of both parties are are agreeing. So this is actually a, a very bipartisan. Um, uh, effort to uh, to relieve the uh, the imposition of tariffs on Canadian steel. So I, I think that all the stars are aligning. We we are hearing good things, but you know we've been through this before. We, we Ambassador McNaughton said not too uh, a few months ago that he thought that these uh, tariffs were going to be lifted fairly soon, and and uh, I think he uh, he has 
um, I think he's admitted he's, that he he's has, recanted. He, he, he has egg on his face, and he admitted that uh, at one point. So we've been through this again, but uh, you know, again, it, it is a sliver of hope that they're talking. Uh, and and I'm not going to read too much into the fact that Christy Freeland left Washington. Uh, she d- did have another function to right. go to. Obviously, they're still concerned about this, and Canada's trying to play a lead role in what's going on with Argentina right now, and that's what that meeting's about. Uh, and that's you need a phone call at this stage, not necessarily a handshake. Yeah, well, and, and I expect that there are a lot of representatives of the Canadian government uh, in Washington. Obviously, we have an embassy that uh, has been completely inundated with this issue. They're very capable people there. I know, I know a number of them there, um, and I know how amazing they are at uh, cultivating relationships on Capitol Hill and, and throughout the Capitol, even, even when... Uh, there aren't front burner issues like tariffs or, or softwood lumber. Um, they're doing a, they've always done a great job there. So we are very well represented in D.C. right now. Keenan Loomis from the Hamilton Chamber. Uh, good to see you again. Let's uh, keep our fingers crossed. Thanks, Bill, for sure. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.